You are listening to First Team America, Patriot Network, by Patriots for Patriots, from across both sides of the aisle and from all walks of life. We've got a fantastic interview today with author uh, Mike McCormick, who spent uh, 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 much time in the White House as a stenographer for three presidential administrations. Mike's book, Joe Biden, Unauthorized, and the 2020 crack-up of the Dem Party. you got to check it out. It's available on Amazon. You cannot miss this. I do not know how this book missed being publicized in greater detail. So stand by. First Team America, Patriot Network. You're listening to First Team America, Patriot Network, by Patriots for Patriots, from across both sides of the aisle and from all walks of life. One of the things that I uh, uh, have sought to do with this podcast is not regurgitate stuff that's uh, put out on the internet. I'm a guy that tries to question everything. I look for things outside the official narrative. I always love the backstories on these events and uh, world events, political events, you name it. One of the things we'll be bringing you is more in-depth investigative reporting from hosts or sources, authors, all kinds of people that are in the know. One of our guests today is Mike McCormick. Mike's got a fantastic story. He's an author uh, of the book Joe Biden, Unauthorized, and the 2020 Crack-Up of the Dem Party. Mike has got a fantastic story, and uh, we look. I, I am sure that uh, you will enjoy this. So, Mike, you spent time at the White House not for one administration but for three. Tell us a bit about that, please. That's right, Donald, and thanks for having me on. Um, Yes, I was. Uh, I had an unusual job at the White House, and a very, at a very uh, interesting time, as it as it turns out, my job was as a as a stenographer in the White House press office. I started in that job in 2002, so right after 9/11, but as they were ramping up into the Iraq War effort to promote the war, and my job was, and and I was a contractor at that time, and. And so I was a neutral observer. I wasn't a, an appointee through the government. I never had a job as that I had to answer to a superior who said, you have to say this or not say this. Right. So my job basically was to sit in the room when the press were present with a president or a vice president or the press secretary. Most days what the job was was sitting in the White House briefing room with a tape reporter to catch all that was said so that there was an official transcript of those proceedings that would then be disseminated to the public, because it was for the public. These are the words of the White House that have to be understood. And I used to joke with my boss at the time, you know, we're kind of like the referees, and she said, oh, no, we're just here for history. She was a woman who had been there since the um, uh, Reagan years. She started there in 1983, actually. And so she and she was a very uh, sympathetic to the Democratic cause, but she worked with different administrations. So as I started there, there was an understanding with us, and she wasn't a big fan of the Bush administration, but she was running this office. There was never any conflict with her ability to run the office and be a Democrat. That was never in question. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. So. Um, after that, I, I worked there for about till from 2002 to 2007. I left for a little while to find a, a little bit bit more uh, upscale job as a communications director in the in the um, in the nonprofit industry. I went down to Richmond. Well, that hey, went Mike, for three years. Just yeah. just to backtrack, so that was you worked for uh, the Bush administration in those years, correct? Right, and yeah, then and then I uh, went to Richmond, mm -hmm. took a three-year uh, hiatus, I guess, and then in 2010 came back to work for the Obama administration. Worked from through from 2010 with the Obama administration through the first year of the Trump administration, and that's really when the changes started to take place in the White House that I saw. I've written two books. The first book is uh, 15 Years of Deplorable, a White House memoir that sort of documents how I saw the rise of Trump as someone who was a, basically a neutral observer in the Obama White House and realized that Trump was going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in American politics. Even though I was surrounded by all these press people, reporters, I rubbed shoulders with them all the time, traveled with them internationally, 
And they just refused to accept that Trump was a, a realistic candidate. And I was like, I, I didn't say anything at the time. You can't really, in that environment, say, oh, Trump's going to win. Is, so, that when, to 2010, is that when you begin yeah. to see the cancel culture become present within the uh, the press? Right. So, yeah, 2010 through uh, the 20, 2018 is when I left, January 2018. So Neutral Observer, about halfway through that, I, we became federal employees. That's when the cancel culture really started to take hold. Uh, okay. You know, Obama federalized our, our office, and I was the lone person who was – at that time, we were hearing a lot of stuff about the old white guys. No more old white guys. They would say that in sort Jeez. of – I mean, people said that in our, in our office. You know, and I was the old white guy in the office. There was mostly young kids, and I was the only male. And it was a different dynamic than I. I just didn't understand why suddenly things were turning in this sort of direction. But a lot of it was coming out of the Obama divisiveness. Right. And that divisiveness came out of Chicago. That Chicago politics. Rahm Emanuel, David Axelrod, David Plouffe. And I would listen to behind-the-scenes briefings that they would give during the 2012 election where they would be so denigrating of Republicans and snide. And all the press that were in these things would be laughing and snickering. Mm. And it was just like the atmosphere of antagonism towards the Republican Party and Republican candidates in the press as they interacted with Obama officials off the record where we couldn't see and hear them, but I could, right. was – so disturbing. That's where it started. Wow. At, in 2011, I started working for Joe Biden as his stenographer, and that's what this book is based on, the book Joe Biden Unauthorized and the 2020 Crack of the Democratic Party. And by the way, it's available on my website, JoeBidenUnauthorized.com, and if you buy it off my website, I donate 10% of the proceeds to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, because wow. blue lives matter and blue families matter. Exactly. And I've had pretty good success with selling it off the uh, website, and so I've made a donation at the end of the year, and I'll make more, I hope, uh, based on website sales. Let me yeah, – yeah, I, I, I will tell you this, you, is that book – I can't put it down right now. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, it's riveting. Your story. So I, I do uh, encourage everybody, get a copy of that book. It is, it is a great read. Go ahead, Mike. Great. So – what I found was I started uh, – after I wrote my first book, I started writing this book about Joe Biden because I knew so much about him. I traveled with him to Ukraine. I traveled with him to Russia. I traveled with him to China. And, and understand, I had an unclassified level. I don't know anything about classified information. I don't really want to. Right. There's a certain level of – basically, I was sort of a civil servant who was there to do my job, go home to my family, and I just wanted to do my job right. And and the doing the job right meant doing it for the presidency, not a specific person. but a, So I could do it for Barack Obama. I didn't hate Barack Obama. I don't hate Joe Biden. I don't distrust the Democrats. To me, they were part of the process. But as this election fraud has unloaded, has been unveiled, and as Donald Trump has moved through his, his presidency, the hate and vitriol that's been directed at him – and his supporters, is off the charts. And that's halfway through I wrote the book, and I realized this is really I, – I finished the book as uh, they were doing the first impeachment of President Trump. And I was like, in the middle of the impeachment, I started looking at what happened in Ukraine because I was in Ukraine with them. And I came across some White House meetings that took place in April 2014. So I put together – I started digging into it, and I put together a timeline. No other media source is reporting on this timeline. And I'll go over it briefly. This is Joe Biden's corruption in with Burisma Holdings. I don't know much about China. I know mostly about Ukraine. That's where I was. And that's where my reporting focuses. Joe Biden knew who the players were in the Ukrainian oil and energy industry because in 2009, he went to Ukraine and was the head of the White House focus group on uh, Ukrainian energy security. He stood up this focus group. The guy who runs Burisma became the uh, energy secretary of Ukraine in like 2010. So before a lot happens in Ukraine, he's in there and Joe knows who he is. His people are interacting with him. 
At the time, Ukraine had a problem because they had these pipelines. Russia would shut off the pipelines to um, that, that Ukraine used for commerce. They would shut off the natural gas flow through these pipelines and basically freeze Ukraine in the middle of the winter. So it was a nat- it was a security problem for Ukraine. So that's one thing that Joe was working on. But that also put him in touch with people in the Ukrainian energy industry. Exactly. The, Ukra- the Ukrainian uprising happens in the in December 2013. They call it the Maidan Revolution. They're occupying their town square in the Maidan hey, Jim, in the middle of Mike, Kiev. What, when yeah. when was this time with the Newland aid package of like five to seven billion? I think when was her aid package delivered there? Do you recall? Uh, to to Ukraine, I know that Joe Biden in in April. I was on the trip. He went over there with one billion dollars in um, loan guarantees in April 2014. Right. And then in 2015, he went over there with one billion dollars in aid. So it was December 2015. Okay. And that's when, and I was on that trip too. And that's when he took he talked to President Poroshenko and uh, the Prime Minister. Um, uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Yukonovich or something like that? No. Um, That's all right. Anyway, uh, so anyway, the prime minister, and he, uh, that's when he threatened them. I'm leaving on a plane. Well, that that was the plane he was leaving on, was Air Force Two. And we were on that plane. He said, I'm leaving in six hours. And if you don't do the, if you don't get rid of the Shokin guy, that's the uh, prosecutor general, then you don't get the money. Hmm. And so that was the thing that Donald Trump looked at that got him impeached, which to me was entirely reasonable. But back to April 2014. So Maidan Revolution happens in February. At this time, Hunter Biden is a sleaze. He's got a cocaine problem. That's starting to be widely documented. And he is he's behaving really disgustingly on his marriage with prostitutes and all kinds of things. It leads to his the divorce in 2017, where his wife says he was behaving with drugs, alcohol, and prostitutes. She said that about him. So uh, after, in 2014, Joe Biden gets on the phone and gets sort of the Maidan Square. There was a mur- there was a murderous assault on the protesters in Maidan Square. Joe Biden got on the phone with the then president of Ukraine, Yanukovych, said something to him, and the guy left. Joe Biden in public has always said, I promised him he would face justice of international tribunals. I don't know what Joe Biden said to him now. I really have my doubts. And so that the shooting stopped. They, the Democratic reforms came up in Ukraine. After that, uh, Putin invades Ukraine in March. Joe Biden goes to Poland in March 2014. He has meetings on the ground. One of the people that was very important to this whole story is a guy named Alexander Klasniewski. He's a former president of Poland. In 2014, he was named to the board of Burisma Holdings. Mm, okay. And he's an old friend of Joe Biden's, old family friend. They worked together on the NATO enlargement, including Poland in the NATO in the 2000s. And so he goes, goes on this board. Biden goes to Poland. Within weeks, uh, Hunter Biden is on the board of Ukraine, I believe. I don't have proof right now, but I think the laptop information will bear this out. Joe Biden installed Hunter Biden on there as a quid pro quo. I'm going to give you guys energy security for Burisma, and you're going to put uh, Hunter on your board. No, That's what I believe. I I think I think many are with you on that. Let me jump. Let me just mention this. Uh, and you had this in your book, by the way, when something that we had been following here at the network is that when Hunter Biden was uh, given the uh, Naval Reserve officer slot, he was put in the public affairs uh, office down in Norfolk, Virginia. Many of us scratched our heads at why would he get that assignment, notwithstanding his past records and drug addictions. He was later kicked out that year or within months for testing positive on cocaine. Some of us have surmised at that position that he he, uh, leapt past many other more qualified candidates, and there's no doubt who helped him get that. But here is a guy that uh, gets kicked out of his uh, Naval Reserve Officer Program or whatever that uh, uh, the name is and for drug tests, and suddenly he's on the plane with Daddy going over to shake down some money. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, we can. I'll, I'll fill you in on a little bit of the uh, timeline details on that. So, end of May 2013, Hunter goes down to Norfolk and tests positive for cocaine on his induction to Navy Reserve um, as a as a public affairs officer. That information doesn't become public for over a, a year. Wow. So this is May 2013. Jeez. It's not until October 2014, after all the Burisma stuff hits, that the uh, vice president's office acknowledges that his son is no longer in the Navy Reserve. And Biden would be out there bragging about his sons in public. My son, Bo. Well, Bo got sick. My son, Hunter, is going to be in the Navy. And all of a sudden, he stopped talking about it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, they knew that he was – so Joe Biden, as soon as Hunter Biden tested positive, they knew he was out of the Navy. And they covered it up for over 12 months – what's it, 16 months, I think, off the top yeah, of my head? Yeah, okay. So 16 months of cover-up out of the White House. Barack Obama knew that they were out of the – that he had been bumped out of the Navy because of a cocaine test. I guarantee the Secretary of the Navy would have had to whisper that in his ear. That's breaking Sorry, news right President here. Son. Yeah. Right? I mean, Gosh. that's my suspicion, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I know how the White House works. I can't say that happened, but you I ca- believe that would happen. If I was the Secretary of Navy, I would tell the president. Absolutely. So care to surmise why Hunter would be given a slot at the Naval Public Affairs Office? I think it was the only place they could get him in because he was desperate to sort of get his father's approval. Right. And, you know, he, he always heard about his brother being bragged about. He wanted to be bragged about. Sure. And it might have been, a you know, a last-ditch stand to make this guy seem rational. But, I mean, he was so deep into a drug addiction spiral and personal, I mean, personal misconduct is just disgusting. So so he was, you know. Un- unbelievable. So, so Mike, tell, tell us about who you think was part of the team on the ground during the uh, Biden visit that, that you refer to in the book as you'd like to know who was the team on the ground. Oh, OK. So uh, after Biden gets him installed through March, there's a series of meetings in the White House in in April 2014. One of the meeting the meetings that I and I stumbled across this accident, but this to me was really indicative of a problem that Obama had with what the Bidens were doing. They had a meeting on April 15, 2014, in the White House, in the Roosevelt Room. I document that based on White House visitor logs. The the exact – the next very next morning, and when I say they, I mean Obama, Axelrod, Plouffe, and Messina were there. They were visitors. They had to get logged through as visitors. The next morning, Axelrod, at 7.30 in the morning, goes for breakfast to the Naval Observatory with Biden, one-on-one. It's a very unusual entry in the White House of Israel logs, but it's there. Four hours after that meeting, Axelrod, I mean, uh, Biden has a meeting in his office with Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner. At the time, Vice President Biden's uh, explanation for having his son on the board of Burisma was, I never talked to my son about his business. And everybody just swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. But they never asked, well, do you talk to his business partner about his business? Do you talk to other people? They never asked that. They never probed into this. They just took that at face value. And when I started seeing his meetings, I realized, wait a minute, this is really crooked. Within, within days, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine for his first trip to, re, uh, to uh, bring relief and assistance in the face of this Russian invasion. And I'm on that trip. He talks about uh, we've got teams on the ground. He's talking about I'm going to be calling people in the area, uh, regions, other country, other uh, world leaders in the region about what we're doing here. So was he talking about we're going to be helping Burisma or was he talking about we don't know. We don't know what he was actually talking about. That's the whole point of my book is these are questions that no one's asking. And I wrote this book to be read through the campaign process. And no one saw it. It was there was no there was no reporting on Joe Biden because all the reporting was about COVID or all the reporting was about, you know, what wasn't happening. And Joe Biden was basically hiding. Mike, who did so, you send? Who did you personally mail copies of this book to within the uh, U.S. legislature? Yes. Yeah, so in June, I mailed a copy of this book to every senator who was on the Senate Homeland um, Government Affairs Committee. So that would have been the committee 
chaired then by uh, Ron, Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. Senator Kamala Harris got a copy. Senator Coons from Delaware got a copy. And within a week of them getting, uh, within 10 days of them getting this, these books, I never heard back. I never heard back from any of them, Republicans or Democrats. And within a week of uh, 10 days of them getting this book, there was a development in Ukraine where all of a sudden Ukraine came out and they had arrested these two people who were uh, part of Burisma, who were trying to bribe government officials. There were government officials that Burisma was trying to bribe. They had them in a room. They had this big, these big bags of money. I think it was $6 billion. It was American money, big bags of it. They had this on television. And the Washington Post article had the sort of wrap-up by the um, authorities as they, were, as they were explaining this event. And the wrap-up said, basically, this should prove that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden had nothing to do with this event. <laughs> well, that's right. They had nothing to do with that event, but they sure right. heck had a lot to do with Burisma. Because there was a lot of money laundering going on with Burisma that went through Cyprus a, a, a month after Joe Biden went to Ukraine in 2014. He went to Cyprus. So this is the this is the uh, timeline. March 2014, he's in Poland, where he, where I think he installed Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma. April 2014, he goes to Ukraine and talks to Ukrainians about energy security which includes Burisma. May 2014, he goes to Cyprus. Cyprus is where all of the uh, Burisma holdings, dark money is held. That's a money laundering capital. In June 2014, he goes, and no press were on that trip. That was a private trip. It was very um, low information. Basically, uh, the, the official word was he was going over there to talk to Cyprus about unification, which was something he'd always he'd talked about with them for years. But on the side of it, once I started digging into this, I realized, hey, Burisma Holdings is registered in Cyprus, and they've got that's where all their dark money goes. Mm. So um, then a month after that, in early June, he goes back to Ukraine for the uh, inauguration of President Poroshenko. At that inauguration, this guy Kwasniewski is there. So they could have had a one-on-one tete-a-tete there. This is all during 2014. At this point in time, remember, Hunter Biden still hasn't publicly come out and admitted to cocaine use with the Navy to being uh, tossed out of the Navy for right. Navy reserves for cocaine use. But it had come out that he was on the board of Burisma. There was a brief uproar about it in the White House briefing room. They addressed it. Biden came out and addressed it, said uh, the vice president has no connection to this company. Well, okay, maybe that's partially true. But his son sure did. And did he not talk to his son about his business, but he talked to his son's business partner about his business? No one asked. No one asked. And that was the point in his book to get people to ask about this presidential candidate. Absolutely. Now as a president. Yeah, well, you, you are exactly right. I mean, this is just groundbreaking. This should have been reported. You know, as someone who has uh, myself uh, uh, experience as export compliance officer, empowered official, uh, you know, with li- export licensing, whether it's maintenance, sales, or even uh, 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 levels of uh, what needs uh, classifications. You know, what, what I want to ask you this, you know, given what I just mentioned with my background on this export compliance and these foreign aid programs, it's clearly a violation of U.S. law that, that uh, something shaky happening where these, these uh, quid pro quo stuff is occurring should have had a deeper dive by DDTC, Director of Defense Trade Controls, BIS, uh, FBI. All these agencies right. should have really been in this and, and on top of this or, it, or looking into this. But it, it's kind of like the Hunter Biden laptop that sat with the FBI for, what, over a year now? And the same with right. Anthony Weiner laptop and then Hillary's misuse of a personal server for, to conduct uh, U.S. national government business on. But I'm right. very – so what do you think? I, I'm, I'm looking at this from the outside in. I wasn't there at the role you had, but my uh, gut tells me they're taking this foreign aid money that's been a giant slush fund for years, and they're spooling right. off and repatriating those funds under board appointment classifications. Your take? Uh, that sounds right. I mean, you know, it's – there's other there's other examples of these foreign aid packages in the book that go – unchecked, un, unaudited. No one talks about them. They just go out there, 
Yep. Hundreds of millions of dollars are going out the door. And these guys are just, yeah, like you said, slush funding it. One thing that's interesting about this Burisma story, in May 2014, as soon as the information is made public, Hunter Biden and Devin Archer are on the board of Burisma. Yep. Their business partner at the time was Chris Hines, who was John Kerry's son. Chris Hines em- evaporates his business connections with those guys right there. I mean, not just dissolves, but evaporates. Got as far away from it as he could. He didn't need to be in that game with them. He knew what was going on. He wanted to get as far away from those guys as he could. So he comes out to be okay. And, you know, Kerry, I don't know what Kerry's role is in the Iran thing, but Chris Hines got himself out of that mess to his credit. He's a guy that somebody should talk to. Nobody's ever talked to him. It's amazing. Devin Archer is a guy that somebody should talk to. They're starting to get information because Devin Archer, at the time he was meeting with Joe Biden in his office in April 2014, he had already concocted a plot that he's now facing criminal. He's going to be he's been prosecuted for. It was a plot to defraud an Indian tribe of uh, on a bond sale. And the SEC found him guilty. He's been the guilty charge was overturned. It's since been reinstated. He's about to get sentenced. If Joe Biden goes in as the president, who knows what happens to that sentencing process? Oh yeah. But that guy right now, with with the uh, Trump administration, is facing a serious future. So there's information that's out there that can be easily get gathered. Tony Bobulinski, when he came out with his laptop story. Uh, after the laptop came out and he came out with his side of the um, Biden crime family uh, in China that he was involved with, and he spilled the beans on to his credit. He said he got interviewed by the FBI. After he did that in November, I went to the FBI and said, here's what I know about the Bidens. I did that the day before the election happened, Monday before the election. Right. I have never heard back from the FBI. Basically, I called their tip line. And left it left a recording on their tip line. Everything that's in the book, plus a little bit more that I hadn't put in the book because there's some stuff that I couldn't put in the book because everything that's in the book is backed up with transcripts. Right. So it's my eyewitness testimony plus transcript evidence. I didn't there were some things that happened that I know of eyewitness that doesn't have transcript evidence, so I didn't put that in the book. But the F I told the FBI about that. And I would definitely want to tell that in front of a grand jury if there ever is one. And Hopefully to this day, you've not been contacted back since you, you made that known the day before the election this year, back in November. What was that, the 3rd? Yeah, yeah, November that's right. 3rd. So Monday the 2nd is when I called. The 3rd would okay. be Tuesday. Right, okay, so Monday. Monday the second, you still have not heard back. This just this just dovetails into what we've seen. I've, I've heard... Uh, Former intelligence people refer to the FBI now as the cleanup team rather than anything investigative as far as uh, uh, mentioning them as more of a cleanup team. I know there's good officers or agents in there within the rank and file, right. so no disrespect towards them. But ever since Hillary's investigation, when Comey was leading that, um, I know there's some severe dissatisfaction within the agents at the lack of, uh, of getting green lights to proceed with investigations. So I'm not at all surprised, but I am severely disappointed, as I am sure I echo the sentiments of many Americans who are for the rule of law, but yet watching these right. agencies do nothing. So, so we so mention more about what the, uh, the role of Cyprus, uh, this uh, Poland former PM, Burisma, and then so, a few other countries that might be uh, lined up with this some way. Right. So. It recently, uh, it can't, it, I think in 2019, I saw um, Rudy Giuliani put out some tweets in 2019 about a money laundering system that Biden, the Biden crime family had used around the Burisma, uh, their Burisma connections. It came, it came out of La- Riga, Latvia. Mm-hmm. It went through Ukraine and then to Cyprus was the, was the base, was the final stop. In 2016, I traveled with Joe Biden to Riga, Ukraine, August 2016. He did a speech there. Basically, the his uh, front the front story was um, we're here to talk about you know the dangers to NATO that Donald Trump proposed. It was during the 2016 election when Donald Trump was saying NATO countries, you guys are going to have to pay your share. Right. And you know Biden, those guys are saying they don't have to do that. 
and and people in the you know out, out there listening in Trump were like, why don't they have to do that? So that's when he went to Riga. I don't know what side business he does when he does these big stops. I'm not part of that, but he was there. And when I saw that information, I was like, wait a minute, Riga, Latvia, Ukraine, Cyprus. I didn't. I, w- I was with him in two of those three stops, and that to me is you know so nobody's asking. Nobody puts these things together and asks, and that's the point of the book. Somebody has to ask. I'm standing there with the press, and they just let these questions go unanswered. And I've worked with those press guys. I was in China with a guy named um, Mike Mamoli. Mike started off as a young reporter with the Chicago Tribune, traveled with Biden. He's now reporting on Biden for NBC. He's one of the main reporters covering Biden because he's really well-liked by the Biden crew, because he never asked tough questions. Exactly. He doesn't dig. He doesn't you know. Ask. They basically groomed him. Exactly. So he doesn't ask questions like the gentleman you mentioned in the book, uh, Weissman, who asked uh, Biden a specific question uh, in public regarding uh, Burisma. I think you mentioned that in your book. And, and he got... That Justin Sink. That's Justin it. Sink from Bloomberg was the one person who okay. would actually challenge Biden. And right. he was pretty challenging in White House briefing rooms. But those guys get so much pressure from above and all around them when they when they are challenging to the narrative. So they don't really do it that much. It's not good for their career. That's kind of how it works. That's how it's been working. That's that's what I saw in the in the Obama years that I referred to. As I'm sitting in the White House, I'm looking at the divisiveness that came out of the Obama messaging and the way the press just sort of became complicit. They never pushed back. I was in the Bush years. And I saw the press pushing back mightily hard on everything that the Bush administration said about Iraq. And to and some extent, it was it was it should have been, you know, the, the Bush uh, Iraq war effort should have required a little bit more um, investigation. Absolutely. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty. And so, you know, now we're looking at the hindsight of the Obama administration and they're trying to make it seem as though it's still going on with this. This election, I think this election was a huge fraud. And I say that based on the fact that I was in the White House for three election nights, 2004 when Bush got reelected, 2012 when Obama got reelected. And I wasn't exactly in the White House in 2016, although I was working there. So I was at home watching the proceedings on television. But I was there late at night in 2004 and 2012 because part of our job was if the president makes remarks after the concession of his opponent, you have to you have to do the transcription of his remarks. So we stayed late, late, late. I think I left the White House in 2012 at about 2:30 in the morning, and people were outside of the gate jumping and screaming, "Obama won! Obama won!" And finally, I think the next day is when uh, Romney conceded. <laughs> but so I left without the concession need. But in both cases, they never stopped counting. In in 2016. At 2.30 in the morning, they stopped counting, or 1.30 in the morning, they stopped counting in Pennsylvania for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump got on the phone with AP and said, you guys have to call this now. And they did. And then Podesta told Hillary, you have to concede, and she did. And that was the end of that election. Donald Trump hasn't conceded, and they never, and they stopped counting in the middle of the night in 2020. And I just think that is the biggest evidence of fraud. That's my personal experience. Nobody can take that from me. You can't, you know, denigrate what I know to be true. You don't stop counting the votes. Exactly. Why did they stop counting the votes? And exactly. why in just certain areas were the votes uh, not counted? They made it all the way through Florida. They made it all the way through Ohio. But all of a sudden, in certain states, they stopped counting votes. And all of a sudden, those states the next day, those are the only places. Cleveland, Ohio's vote totals, the percentage of votes for Trump, for Biden, are nowhere near what happened in Detroit, just a few hundred miles, just a couple hundred miles away, really. Exactly. And there's no big difference in the communities in those cities. So there was a huge operation, and I think it's going to be uh, revealed over time. And we'll see what happens with the election. Um, I don't know if Biden comes in, and it, I don't know. I mean, I still think it's up in the air until he's actually sworn in. Exactly. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. Let's. I want to jump into a couple chapters, and I apologize for skipping around. I definitely want to have you back on. You've got this is again, this is a fantastic book, 
Joe Biden unauthorized, and the 2020 crack-up of the Dem Party. This is amazing. I want to talk about this. You mentioned the donors and drugs. Let's get to that particular chapter. I want to hear more about your perspective and what you have in the book. Very interesting because yesterday, uh, yesterday, two days ago, two days ago, the president went to Alamo, Texas, and spoke at the wall. And in those remarks, this is President Trump speaking at the wall about his his efforts to stem the flow of illegal immigration and drugs in the United States by building the wall and all the all the uh, antagonism that he faced to do that and the success of what he did. As part of those remarks, he talked about his dealings with Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. And he said, we cut off their funding. And after a month, they got back to us and said, okay, we're going to do it your way. And because of that, they changed the way uh, people who came in and were found across the border illegally, they were sent back to not, not to just dropped off in America as catch and release. But they were sent back to either their home country or a country in the region if they could prove that, like, look, I'm scared I'm going to get killed by the gangs in El Salvador. I can't go back to El Salvador. Okay, you go back to Honduras. Third-party repatriation. Right. That was really successful. In 20, from 2014 to 2016, Joe Biden did the exact opposite, and he wants to do more of it. It's a horrific future if he gets into the White House. From 2014 to 2016, Joe Biden gave $1.5 billion of USAID to those Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. My estimation is a third of that, $500 million, went to Honduras. At the time, Honduras was known as a, a cartel-affiliated government. In 2019, October 2019, the brother of the current president of Honduras was convicted in New York City of cartel-level drug smuggling. This guy smuggled 200,000 kilos of cocaine into America from 2005 through 2018. 200,000 kilos. Wow. 200,000 kilos. Four uh, you know, almost 500 pounds. I mean, 500,000 pounds. That's a huge amount. And this is the brother. The guy, and, and Joe Biden, this is the guy Joe Biden made these deals with to give all this money. Now, Trump had to deal with the same guy. And Trump's way of dealing with him was, look, we cut off the money. And, you know, so Trump didn't exactly, like, try to clean out the corruption because I don't know how you do that. But you sure as heck don't throw money at it. And that's not what Trump did. That's what Biden did, and that's what Biden wants to do more of. Exactly. Mike, let me ask you your your perspective on this. How do you think that they were able to move that amount of cocaine into the United States uh, without getting caught? Well, in the the, uh, proceedings, they said they did uh, boats and, you know, planes and stuff. You know, I can only go on what the public record had out there, which was the press release by—it's in the book— the press released by the um, Southern District of New York uh, District Attorney's Office, which my, you know, yeah, came through. They they were the ones that that got the convictions. Because I and, think and of a Barry way, Seal type arrangement on this for some reason with uh, with the Bidens. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I think I think Joe just sort of knew about it and was okay with it. But I don't think I, I don't know. I couldn't okay. tell you one way or the other. But I do know I went to Honduras with uh, Joe Biden in 2012. We took a really weird trip down there. He went to Florida for a fundraiser. Then he went to Mexico to check in with the Mexican, you know, the Mexican president. He did, you know, and this is 2012 spring, so he wanted to do a lot of uh, campaigning off of it. And in my mind, the whole trip was about generating. Uh, Hispanic votes for the Democratic Party for the Obama-Biden ticket. So Florida, then Mexico, then we go to Honduras. As we're, as we're trying to fly into Honduras, the mill aid comes back on the plane and says, okay, I made a mistake. We can't land in the Honduras airport because of this. the runways are too short for the walk, and it's raining there. So we, we have to land in another airport. So we landed at like a DEA facility. They have an airport there that I never knew about. Huh. It's like they got all these planes and these Kwanzaa huts at this 
airfield down there near the capital of Honduras. We jumped in a motorcade. The vice president of Honduras was riding in the limousine with Biden all the way through. We're riding in this motorcade. And if you can imagine a motorcade down a dusty, rutted road in Honduras, donkey carts and all kinds of stuff around. I mean, that was that's that's what traveling with Joe Biden is like. You know, you never know what's coming around the corner. So he goes to this thing in 2012 and makes a deal with the president for more aid. Well, the president's son at that time was also a cocaine smuggler. He's now in prison in America. That guy's name is Pepe uh, Pepe Sosa Loba, I think his name is. Okay. And so his son is is in prison for cocaine smuggling. The guy who takes over for him is um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. It's in the book. Um, he he is also a drug smuggler, and his brother is in on it, and they're part of the. Uh, Sinaloa cartel, El Chapo, that guy that's in prison, mm-hmm. high security prison, he's an un, the president of Honduras at this time in 2016 or in 2019 when his brother is convicted, is an unnamed co-conspirator along with this guy El Chapo who testified that he gave a, a million dollar bribe to this uh, president of Honduras you know, to help him get elected. So all this is happening and Joe Biden knows it. There's a DEA investigation all this time about these guys, and Joe Biden knows it, and he just goes right at it. He doesn't care. And, and Congress okayed it. It went through Congress. They Originally, Joe Biden in 2016 asked for a billion dollars of aid for the Northern Triangle, and Congress knocked it down to $750 million, and they sent it along. And so who knows where the money laundering or the money kickbacks came out of that. It's pretty disheartening. Uh, you know, so that's why. Yeah. Go ahead. That's why when I look at what Donald Trump said at the border two days ago, that's indicative of a businessman's approach to a really big problem. You got problem neighbors, put them a fence. You know what? That is a great point, Mike. Part of I can't help but think, given that amount of aid and the Bidens behind it, that those huge. Uh, what the media calls unorganized migrant caravans didn't stem from some of that aid money getting paid to incentivize and create and move those people. One of the things the media didn't cover in these huge migration caravans is how did those people trek X number of miles on foot in flip-flops and stuff carrying backpacks. But anyway, that's a different day. But again, that's just... You know, it's amazing to see that nobody's looking into this at the federal level, or if it is, it's a cursory view. In fact, the FBI, in my opinion, should have been all over this, and this news should have been available during the election year. How, how is it that a federal agency can sit on evidence and decide not to deploy it or do anything during an election year? I mean, we need to know more about who made those decisions. Mike, I want to I switch gears real quick. Tell me about what you know about China and Hollywood during the Biden term. And I'll tell you, one of the things that perked my interest in that is that during the dates that I saw in the book and, and, and read, that's rather coincidental with the timing when uh, it appeared that the Biden, Obama-Biden administration, Hollywood, started really uh, partnering with military and releasing a bunch of books and books that you wouldn't typically see being released uh, about special operations were suddenly widely available um that's a different episode that we will do later and i've got some sources on that but i can tie some of those dates in that sudden rush of all these books and all of these things happening that typically would not be approved suddenly got green light tell us what you know about china and hollywood oh interesting um joe biden is easily manipulated I think world leaders saw that. I saw that happen right in front of me with Vladimir Putin. I wrote a chapter about that. Yep, bitch slapped. Um, I saw it happen. It's amazing. Bitch slapped in in Moscow, and um, that's what Vladimir Putin did to him. Uh, I saw it happen with the Chinese. My Chinese, my experience with Joe Biden in China started in August 2011. We go over there. This is right after uh, he went to. He started doing these foreign trips, so he comes out as being easily manipulated. we go into a couple of meetings in China, and literally, as Joe Biden is in the middle of his remarks to the Chinese, they start shoving reporters and me out of the room in a couple instances, physically shoving us. And Joe Biden doesn't stop talking. He's just sitting there looking at us, getting shoved out, and it's like, blah, 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 blah. 
So it's very publicly humiliating to him to have his words just sort of discounted. Well, we're in charge. You're not. From that, he goes, he, he's very desperate to be, he, he has huge ambitions to be president. This is 2011. Right. He wants to be president in 2016. And so he wants to have a good rapport with China. So he does whatever he can to get China to get back in their good graces. That makes him easily manipulated. The next uh, time I go to China with him is 2013. Hunter is on that trip. And that's when Hunter did his big business business deal. But in the interim, Joe Biden has been teamed up with this vice president in China who's tipped to be the new president. His name is Xi Jinping. Well, he's now the big guy. In 2012, early in the election year, this is February 2012, January, February 2012, end of January, Joe Biden, Xi Jinping comes to America for a, like a four-day trip. He goes to uh, he goes to Washington. They do a big, big set of um, ceremonies. Then he goes to Iowa. He used to be an exchange student in Iowa for like three or four years. So he goes back there and reconnects. And it's this great story. Oh, he's the future president of China, and he loves America because he was a student here. Then he goes with Joe Biden to Hollywood. Joe Biden wants Hollywood in his back pocket for his future presidential aspirations. He's got it, Hollywood he? is where the Demo- Democratic money comes from Hollywood. Yep. Democratic influence, culture influence comes from Hollywood. And he and Hollywood wants China. They want better access to China. At the time, China has restricted the uh, distribution of films into China through a very narrow portal. So they want to open up the they want to open up the you know the the gates. They want the gates open up so they can get more films in there. Biden and Xi go to a series of events in in Hollywood. I'm out there with, them. and you know it's just sort of regular everyday stuff. They go to a, they go to a, a school and you know do remarks. The school Xi talks to the people, and I, I can't remember. I think he spoke English. He speaks pretty good English. So you know it was this warm and fuzzy kind of presentation. Joe Biden gets tied. Gets this deal. Where China says, okay, yeah, Hollywood, you can send all the films over here you want, but we're going to start making deals with you. Okay, sure. That's where the Hunter Biden connection to China came out, because I know Joe got manipulated by that. Oh, wow, he's the hero guy. He got Hollywood on his side, and he got China on his side. He's the new hero in 2012 of the Democratic Party. He's Joe Biden. He can get it done. Well, look what he was getting it done for. He was getting it done for his own son's personal enrichment. China took that in and became it became a you know a, a dark dark motivational op. I mean, just the degradation that that we I've seen some of the pictures on that laptop, and it's just disgusting what they they were so corrupted and so compromised. So they got utterly compromised over that, and now they are. Hollywood now has China as their um, – they're like telling them how to make their mil- their movies. Absolutely. And Hollywood's okay with it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that went into the NBA. The NBA started doing business in China. There's a huge expansion into China. American business all expanded into China. But what was the cost underneath the table? What was the cost? Absolutely. I tell you, that's a great point. You know, when I saw the Joint Chiefs of Staff letter the other day, claiming to support the Constitution while we ignored the voter fraud evidence and we're in a rush to meet a January 20th date that really doesn't have to be met based upon are we electing a corrupt cabal in as a uh, in the pre- highest office of the United States? And I saw that these gentlemen officers failed to even consider that, but in a rush to preserve the status quo, they issued this letter. Now, I, I'm not detracting from them uh, but I am criticizing them. Um, I found that that was, uh, that was scheduled or, or there was, there's no rhyme or reason why they claimed to support the constitution, but then denied at the same time. I want to jump back real quick, Mike, and sorry to switch gears with you on this, but this just came to me. The Burisma board is rather extensive. Tell me about what you know about Kofor Black being on the Burisma board and his involvement with the Bidens. I don't know, uh, Cooper Plack. There was another guy. Uh, I don't remember his name either. I, I don't have his name in my book. 
um, he was the original chairman of the board, and he was speaking up for Hunter Biden in June. Uh, Who was and this then all of a sudden, Kofer or the other guy? Uh, the other guy. I don't remember his okay. name. He begins with an A. Um, and uh, he was speaking up for Hunter Biden's positioning on the board in June. And all of a sudden, he sort of got knocked out of the press. And the guy who started speaking up for Hunter Biden in 2019 became Kwasniewski. From 2019 on, Kwasniewski became sort of the spokesman of how Hunter Biden got put on the board and what he was doing there, and that he was, you know, the sort of uh, viable member of the board who had, you know, valuable contributions. And that, and so Kwasniewski got, he got, they got their value out of his association with the Bidens. But um, uh, that's all I could tell you about the board. I didn't look that deeply into it. Okay. No, but thanks. Thank you for that. So, so we've mm-hmm. got all this information. We're sitting here. You've got a fantastic book, Joe Biden Unauthorized in the 2020 Crack-Up at the Dem Party. Uh, again, I, I, I am just floored that this, this book, the press, would not cover it. Of course, I'm not floored at this point because we're seeing massive censorship, and it's a coordinated right. effort. I mean, there is no uh, uh, disputing that there is not some sort of coordination that probably didn't and, – and as you mentioned, I'm not saying that you said this, but – you mentioned the the uh, uh, terrible behavior of the Obamas of vilifying uh, Republicans and others. This seems to be a carryover to today's present date, where where the president Donald Trump gets dropped from social media pages. It's it's seems a cons- it, it's almost a Chinese, in my view, Mike. It's almost a Chicom effort at uh, yeah. censoring the American people or from the truth getting out. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, you know, I, I saw some news reports this morning where the president's going to um, release some classified information. He's going to declassify things uh, about, I guess, the uh, crossfire hurricane and maybe some other stuff. We'll see. But I think um, the Hunter Biden laptop revelations corroborate a, lo- a lot of what I've said about Joe Biden putting Hunter Biden onto the board. And that's been the big lie the Democrats have sat back on. And the media sat back on. And I think that starts to come out. I mean, the truth is going to come out about these guys. Hunter Biden isn't a guy you want on your team right now. And I don't know how any Democrat, when this story really starts to get out, and I'm not sure how it does, but eventually it will because it always does. I don't know how the Democrats can't admit. I mean, to me, that's why I put in the crack up of the 2020, 2020 crack up of the Democratic Party. They're cracking up. They don't have a future. They have no integrity. They blew the integrity on election fraud. 75 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. After all the negative press and all the negative uh, attempts to you know, portray Donald Trump as a racist or a bigot or whatever they wanted to call him, 12 million more Americans saw through those lies and voted for him in 2020 than voted in 2016. If you're a politician, that's a huge number. That's it's almost 20%. That's almost 20% that they couldn't influence. They lost the ability to influence 20% of the electorate. That means their messaging is deeply in, in the hole, and they know it. And this may be the last chance, the last gasp they have to try to get any control over the messaging. And that may be what we're seeing. I think I agree with you totally. <laughs> I think this is, this is a— uh, an effort to steal the election. It's a coordinated effort to, to by uh, compromised individuals within agencies to sit on known evidence that should be investigated yep. immediately, especially with the the various pictures involving minors found on uh, uh, or purported to be found on Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, that alone. Right. And in fact, when I did some research on who was the agent that actually got Hunter Biden's laptop from the computer company, uh, and later had it. Uh, that gentleman was involved uh, for the for the bureau with uh, child porn stuff. So there was something oh, there really? that put it yeah. in his hands first. That's what I yeah. That's what I recall uh, with with seeing the initial individual who had custody of that laptop at first. Where it's at now, we don't know. But you mentioned in the book that and it's and we've all seen it. Uh, many of us, including my Democrat friends, will say Biden is a bungler. That guy can't yeah. even stay on track when Trump is out there uh, articulating what he's going to do, and he's fulfilled a lot of those promises. Biden was claiming he was running for the U.S. Senate. You could tell right. his dementia 
is definitely in place, even though the press is covering for it. Um, right. In looking in looking at what what is going on, there appears to be a conspiracy, obviously, amongst major uh, against with this coordination. Um, I'm just amazed, and one of the things I've been researching recently is how did our intel agencies miss this uh, coordination, communications, and uh, the creation of these uh, efforts by these uh, the Bidens to do these backroom deals or backdoor deals of channeling back or repatriating foreign aid money. How was that not caught and not looked at? From what I realize and speaking with people and my sources, we have a pretty big apparatus that collects a lot of data, whether it's directed through the Five Eyes. And there was no way in hell, and I'll say that, this is my network, there's no way in hell those agencies missed any of the communications or coordination. Were you with the? Uh, were you at the White House during the Benghazi stuff incident? Yes. Okay, that's one thing I I call out, and I'm sure you've seen my post today on that. There's no way in hell our government missed any coordination or communications by the uh, Libyans on the attack on the annex. I say it right here. I believe it. Given that yeah. suddenly with the capital thing, all these agencies are now got all this information, all these huge plants. What did they miss during the Benghazi raid? What did they miss right. this summer during the coordination of Antifa and BLM to move people, rioters and, and anarchists across state lines? So my point with right. that being they have got this information of the communications and the efforts. It doesn't escape the DIA or the DNI of what these right. uh, the Bidens, when he's talking to China or these deals. In fact, I saw right. some articles that may not mention the Bidens, but the fact of uh, all of the foreign agents. In fact, I have friends who speak of all the uh, Chinese intelligence officers that have infiltrated the universities of higher learning. I'll cover right. – uh, maybe I'll bring <laughs> you one in the future if you, if you want. We can talk about some of this COVID planning that uh, – was at or near the time you were in the White House at the same time where the U.S. partnered with the CHICOMs to uh, conduct COVID tests at UNC Chapel Hill. Apparently that's uh, being ignored as well. But back to, the, back to my point, this, people know something at higher levels within the agencies on this coordination communication. That's my feel. I mean, Mike, you have got a phenomenal book. Guys, it, to my audience, it's riveting. You should go get it. It's available where, Mike? Uh, it's available. You can buy it on Amazon, or you can buy it off my website. If you buy it off my website, I donate 10% of the proceeds to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Because before I was in the White House, I worked as a stenographer in the court systems, and I know from court testimony the tough jobs that that officers face all around our country, and. They need as much support as we can get, and this summer was disgusting with the behavior toward by the Democratic Party towards our law enforcement communities. Absolutely. What is that website again? What's your website? The website is www.joebidenunauthorized.com. Outstanding. Well, I tell you what, Mike. Any any closing words for our audience you'd like to like to say? Uh, just thanks for having me on, Donald. And you know, I I don't know what happens. With this election, we're still in a process of, I'm not sure if it's completely settled or not. Or if it isn't settled, it will be unsettled for a long time. So we'll see. But the most important thing we can do is get the correct information out and and not have fake news. This is eyewitness testimony. This isn't fake news. Everything that I put in the book is backed up with sources. You can go to the footnotes and read it all. And the, the further out this uh, story gets the better for our country. Absolutely. I totally agree. Mike, and stay on the line. I'm going to finish these closing moments here. Again, Mike McCormick, author of Joe Biden, Unauthorized, and the 2020 Crack-Up of the Dem Party. It's an amazing story. I want you to read it. Please share it to your friends. Let's get this thing viral. We only have a few days left to impact this. These federal agencies should be calling, should be looking, should be speaking with Mike today. In fact, part of my goal, I'm getting this stuff online as soon as possible. Uh, I cannot stand to see the uh, levels of malfeasance without with uh, the agencies not investigating these claims, especially something of significant national security interests. This is just unbelievable. But anyway, we're First Team America Patriot Network by Patriots for Patriots. 
across both aisles and from all walks of life. We're here to bring you more reports. Mike, I thank you so much for bringing us your story and for your patriotism in, in doing this. Um, it, I'd love to have you back on in the future. We're First Team America. Please, uh, uh, you, you can view this uh, podcast, or sorry, hear this podcast on multiple podcast apps. Follow us, like us uh, online. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom.